This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. It, it was basically a classic case of man in power using that power to make a woman do things that she didn't want to do. Welcome to episode 15 of The Great Fail, a podcast that examines the greatest success stories and their spectacular fails. What led to the demise of the most prolific people, brands, and companies. I am your host, Deborah Chen, and this week we'll be looking at American Apparel. This episode contains sexual content that some may find offensive and disturbing, including sexual harassment, and is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. In the summer of 2004, a reporter met Dov Charney, founder of American Apparel, who was 35 at that time, and being interviewed for a piece in Jane magazine. In her article, this reporter described their interaction as involving chatter that spans from his stance on immigration labor issues to more new age profound principles like manifestation and destiny to then his grandparents and their humble beginnings selling spring water in bottles, which as a child raised in Montreal had an extreme impact on him. It was a late interview and around 11 p.m., the reporter, Dov, and one of his female employees retired back to his 10th floor suite of the ultra-posh Maritime Hotel in New York City. Things took a sudden turn there because when the reporter asked Dov how he likes to unwind, he responded with, Oral sex. Dov explained later, I love it. I'm a bit of a dirty guy, but people like that right now. And on cue... Dov's employee began to perform a sexual act on him. It was a bizarre situation to be in, to say the least, but far more intriguing content than her original intent to write about American Apparel's garment workers, which Dov proclaimed as his new industrial revolution. A week later, he invited the reporter back to his two-bedroom apartment to continue the interview where they had discussions on global youth culture, feminism, and social revolution. But it wasn't long before Dov began to unbuckle his belt. 
The reporter asked, Are you going to do it again? In which Dov responds by loosening his pants to pleasure himself. Welcome to the story of American Apparel. Made in America in 1997, ripped apart at the inseam by 2017. Most of our episodes have adhered to being PG, or maybe PG-13, but the American Apparel story was one that garnered tremendous interest. And once in a while, we come across a salacious story that deserves to be discussed, in part because there's a lesson to be learned beneath all the dirt, but also because it's just such a profoundly interesting and provocative case study. And the fall of American Apparel is nothing short of outrageous beginning with their marketing campaigns, which I'm sure many of you remember, the company's signature advertisements that touted these overtly sexualized, mostly adolescent-looking women in, to put it lightly, the most unusual poses. Mini skirts with crotch shots, limber limbs, some looking candid, some that were intentional, but all were uncomfortably raw. Which was ironic given that they were selling their extremely comfortable apparel. But that was just one of the many oddities and contradictions of the American apparel story. It was controversial to be sure, though hardly unique in an industry that was notorious for sexually exploitative messaging. What did stand out was how the advertisement seemed to contrast with the values that the brand touted. It was a yin and yang of sorts, a company that supported the creation of a radical movement for fair treatment of immigrants, helmed by a leader that seemingly couldn't keep his pants on. This contradiction would eventually become the cracks in American Apparel's armor. And for Dov, it would be the ultimate disgrace, a collapse that sent him on the downward spiral from the upper echelons of the fashion world. You see, his entrepreneurial spirit stemmed back all the way from his high school days where, in the 80s, Dov started importing American clothes like Hanes and Fruit of the Loom to his hometown in Montreal, and then selling it for a profit to his network of friends. It had been so successful by the time he was in college enrolled at Tufts University, he was already selling his clothes under the American Apparel trademark. He decided to drop out, and with a $10,000 loan from his father, Thanks, Dad! He moved to Southern California in 1997 to begin his line. Though there were no shortage of trials and tribulations, Dov's undeterred ambition made sure that he kept moving forward. The intent had originally been to produce wholesale, high-quality blank garments for screen printing and also used as boutique labels, But with Dove's marketing ingenuity, the brand quickly outgrew the wholesale market once it debuted with the edgy, sexy allure that made it so tempting to the youth demographic. By the year 2000, he moved into the 800,000 square feet warehouse in downtown Los Angeles. And in 2003, he opened the American Apparel flagship stores and had 1,300 employees. The stores were an instant success. Within a year, the accolades started rolling in. Ernst & Young's Entrepreneur of the Year, Retailer of the Year, 
label of the year, and more. There was even a Business Insider article titled 10 Reasons Why American Apparel's Dove Charney is a Brilliant Leader. And he was a finalist for Time's 100 Most Influential People in the World. Within two years, the company grew their employee base to 4,500, opening 50 stores and hauling in $250 million in profit each year. Stop and think about that for a second. 50 stores in two years, meaning they were opening an average of two stores per month. Dov was highly regarded as a genius and beloved for his eccentricity and avant-garde design tendencies. He was also known for his erratic, quirky brilliance. This brilliance hinged on the simplicity of his concept, and that was to make t-shirts, sweatpants, and sweatshirts. The basics in your closet seem exciting. And although that may not seem like a big deal now, back then, this was a fiercely new idea. American Apparel's first claim to fame was their classically chic Y-front t-shirts that seemed timeless. The tees were cool, they were expensive, and emblematic of the new made-in-America attitude. The clothes were propped up by the hipster generation and worn by the uber-high fashion fashionistas and celebrities across the world. Dove Charney really started, you know, a movement or maybe even general movements in the world of fashion that were pretty remarkable at the time. That was Elizabeth Segrin, a reporter for Fast Company who had covered American Apparel and other fashion brands quite extensively and quoted frequently for her commentary on the fashion retail industry. I think the very first thing that was so interesting about it is that Dove Charney, the founder, was really focused on bringing fashion manufacturing back to the United States, which was a pretty radical idea because for so many years, um, all of the different free trade agreements in the world had made it easier for American fashion companies to manufacture overseas. And so he had this radical idea at the time of setting up a factory in, in the United States where, you know, he, he could stop by the factory regularly, uh, kind of give consumers insight into the manufacturing process and the people who made that, the clothes. Dove's decision to take its manufacturing operations from Mexico to the United States, more specifically L.A., was nothing short of revolutionary. At the apex of its popularity, American Apparel was the biggest retail manufacturer in the nation, with brick-and-mortar stores in the world's trendiest neighborhoods, from L.A. to London to Tokyo. It was without question that Dove was a visionary for the art of merchandising and marketing. But with this genius also brought plenty of baggage, creating controversies that would tear the company apart. At its height, American Apparel had over 200 stores in over 20 countries. But there was always a blemish, a stain on the American Apparel success story, which came from its founder, it was no secret that Dov, despite his passion on progressive issues like equality in the workforce and liberalizing immigration policies, had a penchant for lust and lewdness, to put it mildly. This prurience, however, never quite was enough of an issue to overshadow the brilliance of his operations in the public eye. 
On the surface, Dove and the American Apparel brand excelled with the paying of fair wages and having the foresight to vertically integrate their operations, meaning that the manufacturing, distribution, and retail was all done from within. This allowed them to create more control on their costs and generate more profit margins that were significantly higher than its competitors. And it was refreshing. This sweatshop-free garment operations came across as anti-establishment and set it apart from the picture-perfect stuffiness of the fashion industry. And if you think about it, he, you know, he launched you know, his first t-shirt in 1991, which is very much like a period where all of the manufacturing in America, when it came to apparel, you know, was happening in China and, um, and then eventually Vietnam and Southeast Asia. And so, you know, he, he had this notion that, like, there was a time when clothes were made here locally in the United States, and um, he wanted to sort of see if we could do that again. But he was also, you know, he had his own kind of creative instincts, right? So, he, you know, he created these clothes that were very basic. You know, now, 20 years later, basics are sort of, everywhere, right? All of the, so many brands have emerged that sell high quality basics. But, you know, at the time in the 90s, like, you know, the idea of creating, you know, a simple black t-shirt with no logo was a very unusual thing. This was a time when logo mania was all the rage, you know, Gucci t-shirts with um, very loud labels. You know, that was what people were wearing. And so he was basically pushing back against a lot of the norms in fashion. But what was pervasive throughout was also the rumors about Dov, who, as a leader of his empire, was known for his tantrums, his cruel spirit that would frequently rear its ugly head. Including the time, and this was early on the company's success, when it boldly launched a campaign of a billboard featuring an image from the 1979 film Annie Hall of Woody Allen dressed as a Hasidic rabbi beneath Yiddish texts. The problem was, American Apparel never got permission to use Allen's likeness. It was enough to get the attention of Woody himself, who sued the company and called out their advertisements as sleazy and infantile, eventually settling for a whopping $5 million payout. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When the 2008 global recession hit, everyone felt the blow, as major retailers like Neiman Marcus and Saks Fifth Avenue all got hit with double-digit sales declines. American Apparel was no exception. While the company charged a premium for its feel-good, ethical approach, many consumers were now struggling with rationalizing these expensive basics during a time of such financial duress. Despite that, the company continued its expansion around the world, reporting one of their most profitable years in 2009. However, what really took a chunk out of their foundation was when a year later, in 2010, its auditor, Deloitte & Touche, resigned, citing material weaknesses in the financial controls of the company dating back to 2009. As you can imagine, that was a pretty damning indication that things were about to get very ugly. And then there was a series of private equity deals that changed the trajectory of the company's fate, including a deal with Lion Capital. While 2009, on paper, was a solid year for American Apparel's profits, it was also a pivotal year for other reasons. Despite the huge sales, American Apparel was facing a lot of financial burdens, including huge loans that they had taken out to fund their expansion across the globe, which led to over $111 million in debt. Desperate to avoid Chapter 11 bankruptcy, 18% of the company was sold to private equity firm Lion Capital, which made them highly leveraged. Hardly an ideal position to be in given what would come next. That same year, as if things couldn't get any worse, American Apparel got hit with a police raid on its factory that revealed close to 2,000 illegal immigrants working there. Dov had been tipped off about the raid prior to it occurring, but as he scrambled to get papers from all his workers, it was too late, and sadly, many were forced to leave. With 30% of its workforce gone, the company suffered severe penalties to its production line, which added to its already high debt. And then the final jab to hit below the belt. Dov was living proof that the past always comes back to haunt you. His professional and personal reputation had been persistently challenged after a series of sexual harassment lawsuits, followed by several female employees. Sadly, it didn't come as much of a surprise that a maverick entrepreneur who reveled in his power relished in his reputation as a pervert. He was known to walk through the factories in his underwear, conduct meetings wearing just a thong, and at one time, at least, wore nothing but a sock, and it wasn't on his foot. All of this led to a steady stream of lawsuits that raised questions about just who the man was behind this fashion empire. So all of these reports about how he was also inappropriate 
just, you know, in everyday life uh, as a CEO of the company. I mean, he was known for walking around the floor of the factory with not, not very many clothes on, which made people uncomfortable. Um, there were times when he, you know, he would be in his office as CEO and he would have somebody come in and he would be naked. And there were always these moments where it was very clear that his judgment was off and that he was constantly blurring the, the lines. And, you know, this is before the Me Too movement. Um, and I think now we have the language to articulate how, you know, this wasn't just some sort of quirky guy. I mean, this is a guy who was very powerful. He was in charge of a lot of people. And he basically used his power to sexually harass lots of people. Um, and so that's what we know about him. Many industry insiders have also talked about his interviewing style, which had included at least once the reliance of sexual activities as part of his recruitment process. Dov was also known to have gifted his female employees vibrators. These numerous allegations against Dov and his outrageous behavior began to bleed the company of cash due to constantly increasing legal fees. The company reported spending $1.4 million in 2014 and then $3.6 million in 2015 from all the sexual harassment lawsuits. In total, American Apparel publicly claimed that Dove had caused the company around $10 million in litigation and that their liability insurance nearly tripled because he was such a high risk to his employees. There was a, a very large lawsuit brought against him in the late 2000s, right? Um, and basically, one former employee basically said that he had forced her into a relationship against his will. Um, in fact, she used the language sex slave, you know, in the language of the lawsuit. And so it, it was basically a classic case of sexual harassment, of an employer or, or somebody in power, a man in power, using that power to make a woman um, do things that she didn't want to do. Rather than apologizing, Dov retaliated by issuing 20 lawsuits of his very own, along with his allies, dismissing these allegations as attempts to smear him. By then, the fashion industry and retail business had been changing rapidly with brick and mortar struggling and online retailers taking a good size grip on consumer spending. American Apparel's losses continued from 2010 to 2013, where the company reported a net loss of $106 million, even though they had sales of $633 million. The following year, they reported another net loss of $68 million. The business starting to go by the wayside was evidently the last draw for the company. In 2014, citing sexual and business misconduct, the board let Dov go. I think it was just kind of the perfect storm. You know, the, the brand at that point was, you know, like a decade old at least. You know, it had made all these decisions, but, it, you know, it would have this large retail footprint. And, and then it had all of these internal problems. So that, you know, trying to compete, trying to move forward, trying to evolve just became impossible eventually. With the goodwill of the USA Labor Initiative squandered, 
American Apparel was left looking like just another sleazy company run by someone who exploited their power. As an outsider looking in and really understanding the rise and fall of this company, it leads you to wonder why all of it ever went on for so long. He began building his brand, you know, in the early 90s. And by the late 90s, he had built a factory in L.A. where he began, you know, making his clothes. And it was in the early 2000s that the brand was really, you know, a dominant force on the, you know, on the American retail market. And then the end of his career at American Apparel was in 2014 when he got kicked out of the company by his own board. And so that's a really long period where he was leading a company and behaving inappropriately. So that was, it was about a 15-year period. What's so interesting about the American Apparel story wasn't so much what happened, but what didn't happen. At its height, stories about Dove, the rumors, the truth, all seemed to have been swept under the rug. Labels like genius and quirky seemed to trump ethics, and success seemed to allow the absence of morality. It makes us wonder the stories we aren't hearing about right now, and wonder about how other offbeat or edgy executives get away with inexcusable behavior. It was almost like the Aesop's fable of the wolf in sheep's clothing where beneath the facade of its made-in-America cheer laid the abuse of power that would eventually rot the company from the core, taking down an empire and preventing it from focusing on evolving and adapting. Jeff Tarney's approach was to focus on and and that was also an aesthetic that many direct-to-consumer brands took. So, you know, many of the the brands that, that are popular now, you know, have this very minimalist approach. They, are, they don't have big labels on them. The whole point is basically to create these basics that consumers can wear season after season. And so basically there was a lot of competition that he suddenly began to experience. And many of these brands were also very innovative in their own ways. They created very cool like marketing strategies. They were very good at doing cool store activations. I mean, they, they basically took his business model and, and improved on it and evolved it. And and at the same time, the company, you know, American Apparel was going through all of these internal troubles. And so it was really hard for the brand to essentially focus on the business, right? There were so many other issues that they were dealing with, like this internal struggle of like what they were going to do with Deb Tarney. Um, they, ha- they struggled to find a new CEO. There were all of these issues that they were dealing with that just made it hard for the company to really focus on, on competing. Um, and I think that that's why all of these other brands essentially stole American Apparel's lunch. American Apparel finally filed for bankruptcy in 2015 and then again in 2016 before being acquired by Canadian retailer Gildan Activewear for its IP and other assets for a total of $88 million. Though the brand technically still exists with an exclusively online storefront, it's a shell of its former self. In the final days, Dov slapped a few lawsuits of his very own on American Apparel, accusing them of smearing his reputation, 
arguing that he drove the company's $5 billion valuation in the past 10 years. He added that, This was a manifestation of Wall Street malfeasance. The company got driven into the ground. Referring to what happened after his departure. Dov now runs a new company, Los Angeles Apparel, whose South L.A. garment factory was shut down in early July of 2020 after more than 300 employees tested positive for COVID-19 amidst allegations of a lack of safety measures, like social distancing. Naturally, Dov dismissed the whole thing as an attempt to mislead the public. After all, it wasn't the first time he's been caught with his pants down. Special thanks to Elizabeth Segrin for her contributions to this episode and discussing her research on the iconic clothing fashion empire, American Apparel. And thank you for tuning in to this week's The Great Fail. Please make sure to visit our website at thegreatfail.com for behind the scene audio and video footage. If you like these episodes and want us to continue bringing you more, please subscribe to our newsletter because, well, not connecting with you would be our great fail. While you're at it, simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out too. The research on each episode is extensive, but none of them would be possible without the tireless efforts of researchers, writers, and reporters. They are all credited on thegreatfail.com under our show notes. Lastly, you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Great Fail Pod. And please subscribe, rate, review this podcast on iTunes to show your support. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. And remember, folks, with great failure comes great liability. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.